crime and policing and the 2021 campaign. I'm Jarrett Murphy, the executive editor at citylimits.org. My broadcast partner, Ben Max, is off tonight. And then we'll speak to Casey Foster, who is coming to us uh, affiliated with the Communities United for Police Reform Action Fund and the Make the Road Action Fund, a veteran organizer and activist who is well-versed in these issues and some of the grassroots concerns about policing and about some of the reforms that have been proposed by candidates and that we're hoping to hear proposed by candidates. And let's now bring in our uh, second excellent guest for this issue of Max and Murphy. That's Casey Foster, who is coming to us representing Communities United for Police Reform Action Fund and Make the Road Action Fund. Casey, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on. You and I have talked about, I think, this issue before. I don't think you've been on this show, but we've talked in the past. I know you've been active on this for a number of years. Give us kind of the broad picture. Compared to where we were in 2013 when every candidate was promising to do something about stop and frisk and police reform was kind of becoming a cause celeb, where is New York City now? What what progress have we made? Are we on square one still? Are we on square one and a half? Where are we? So, so I mean, I think I'll start with the reason why we've made progress is because activists, families of New Yorkers have been killed by police, have been relentless in their organizing. You mentioned 2013. We go to 2014, right? Unfortunately, we all saw the tragic death of, of Eric Garner on video. Um, and we know that took uh, it took years um, for his family to get any sort of um, justice there with even though only one officer has been fired, many more should be fired uh, for that murder. Um, but where we are now, um, I think, you know, broadly, you know, we're seeing, I think, um, platforms that are being developed um, by candidates that are influenced by the movement for police reform and accountability. Um, and so we're seeing platforms now that are intentional in divesting and defunding from the police department, intentional that if we're going to get anywhere in this fight, um, that we have to reduce the size, scope, uh, power, and funding of police departments. Um, and so I think that's in direct relation to the organizing we're seeing Um New York State recently passed a, a bill around police transparency, repealing 50A, which was on the books since the 70s. And so increasing transparency um, is a step in the right direction um, to your kind of, you know, are we on square one? We still have a long, long way to go um, before I think we can say um, we've seen uh, market shifts in the way, particularly um, that black communities and communities of color are policed in New York City. Talk about divestment and defunding, because that's a word that's been discussed a lot, especially in the past year. Obviously, the conversation is longer than that and older than that. But what does that mean to you? And I guess we're talking about the NYPD. So that is an actual thing, an actual number. They have like 36,000 sworn officers. Their budget is, I think, something like $6 billion. Is Is there a right size that you have in mind or that we generally should be thinking about? Uh, just, uh, I think we ha- we have to absolutely significantly reduce the headcount of the NYPD. I, I think that is going to be critical in in reducing their funding. Right when you look at the funding streams, although many of the funding streams um, are actually hard to follow because it, it's not transparent in terms of just overall funding for the police department here in the city. But you know, when I think of the fund or, or divest, you know, I think in uh, Austin, Texas, the city council just voted um, to divest funding from the police department to 
for the city to buy hotels um, to provide um, permanent shelters um, for homeless folks. That, to me, is what we're talking about when we're talking about defund and, and divest. We are talking about taking funding away from an agency that continues to perpetuate violence in our communities and reallocating and reinvesting that fund and, or, and re, those funds and organizing care for communities that often um, do not receive care. And I think if we look at the pandemic, it's to everyone that the city has actually not been set up in a way to organize and provide care to the most vulnerable communities. In the agenda that you and your your uh, fellow members of the police reform movement, uh, criminalist reform movement, are developing, I understand that that's that's still being developed. Talk about police accountability, as you mentioned, fifty A, which was this crazy law that said that you, you know you can file a freedom of information request on just about anything in New York State except disciplinary records of cops or firefighters or correction officers. Um, it was a law that's been in the books for a long time. Mayor de Blasio was particularly keen to adhere to it, uh, and it has now been repealed. What else is on the agenda in terms of accountability? And specifically, a lot of candidates are saying a lot about the Civilian Complaint Review Board, ways to change what it does, empower it more. Do you think that there is power to be had for the CCRB? Could there be meaningful reform there? I think the CCRB, uh, we could definitely provide the CCRB with the resources um, um, in order to kind of um, increase investigations. I think there's ways to empower the CCRB. I think, you know, but all of that is, is mute. Moot. I'm sorry. All that is moot if, at the end of the day, um, it's the police commissioner that's making the final decisions um, on police disciplinary uh, process. And so, we absolutely, you know, should have an independent board. Um, one that's fully independent. I think it, we saw the CCRB just recently adopt the police department's disciplinary matrix, a matrix that's full of loopholes created by an agency that we can't actually trust to discipline themselves. And so, um, you know, we need a CCRB that's independent. We need a CCRB that's empowered, that has resources to carry out investigations, um, should be empowered to discipline officers in some cases. Um, but all of that, you know, it, we have to have uh, a disciplinary process um, in which the power to make the final disciplinary decision does not fall into the commissioner's hands. Right, because right now, for, for listeners who may not know, if, if you complain to the CCRB about a police officer mistreating you and that claim is investigated and substantiated, um, which, again, because of the resource problems may not always occur, they might recommend discipline against that officer. They could recommend suspension or loss of vacation days or retraining or reprimand. But right now it goes to the police commissioner who has the wherewithal, the, the authority to adhere to that or to change the recommendation or to not do anything at all. Yeah, and I think there's a number. I think uh, New York Civil Liberty Union um, may have had some research here, and I know there was a recent um, ProPublica piece. But you know, the the over the years, the the trend is that the, the commissioner absolutely reduces the discipline that the CCRB recommends. One of the things that the mayor talked about in his uh, speech last week, his State of the City speech, was, I think, a, an effort um, to try to improve police community relations, and that is to permit precinct councils to weigh in on the selection of precinct commanders. Uh, what do you think of that idea? 
I, I, I think the whole, I mean, we had across the country thousands of people taken to the streets after the George Floyd murder, right? Like people that, a multiracial coalition of people that were saying, like, we're not going to stand anymore for police departments that are sanctioned to kill and abuse black people. I, community, tr- like this whole idea that we need to focus on improving, you know, trust between police departments and black communities. To me, you know, that misses the point of, of what's happening in our communities. It misses the point of, you know, the purpose that police are playing um, in our communities. So I don't have any interest in in, in picking um, or choosing um, my oppressor. And, and that's how I see the, the whole community precinct process. Right now, the conversation in the 2021 campaign is playing out against, I, I would say, you know, some concern about crime in the city. Obviously, uh, crime, violent crime did increase uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the mayor has said and, and many candidates have said is they want to uh, increase funding for and support for things like the Cure Violence Movement, um, the Ceasefire Initiative, efforts that do not directly involve the police in trying to prevent violence and, and respond to violence so that it doesn't have a knock-on effect is that something that you're comfortable with it does does that make sense yeah i think violence interrupters cure violence programs um organizations uh in communities that have relationships with people in the communities that are equipped to mediate conflicts we should absolutely i think look at um resourcing those organizations i think you know even beyond you know Thinking about the pandemic, I'll reference a little bit what I said about in terms of organized care. Like throughout this pandemic, the city and the state has not been able to organize care um, to black and brown communities, to low income communities. And so I think there should be a massive, massive effort to organize care um, to get us through this pandemic um, to a community and to a city that looks different. So I think including, you know, thinking about addressing the uptick in violence um, through violence uh, interrupter programs, care violence programs. We should also be thinking about massive jobs programs for young people that have been disconnected from the economy, have been disconnected from schools. We should be thinking about ensuring people have housing, you know, um, beyond you know, what we have now just in terms of uh, rent kind of being pushed back and evictions being pushed back. Like there should be a massive effort um, to organize and provide care to communities as a way to build and nurture safety in those communities. So the 2021 candidates are out there, council, borough president, mayor, comptroller. What are you hearing? Um, I don't know if you want to name particular candidates, but what are you hearing generally in terms of uh, criminal justice ideas and public safety ideas? Is there anything that sticks out as as good? Is there anything that sticks out as disturbing? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tiffany Caban is a candidate running. Um, Astoria Queens recently released the public safety platform. Which it's a comprehensive platform that's looking at reducing the scope of policing uh, in New York City, which I think lays out, um, you know, some uh, initial ways where we can remove police from the social life and social fabric um, of communities of color. And so, you know, that to me is a starting point um, for where, you know, we should be looking to go in the future in terms of reducing the scope of the responsibilities of the police and returning 
social social responsibilities and social services to other agencies. Um, so, you know, I, I would say, you know, that's definitely a step uh, in the right direction. One thing I'm curious about is, you know, I've heard from a couple of people in recent days that they feel that in low-income communities of color in New York City, the concern about rising crime is beginning to trump the concern, which I, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't use that verb, is beginning to outweigh the concerns about over-policing and aggressive policing. Um, and I guess I wonder, like, how will we know what communities really Want. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of different voices in every neighborhood in New York City. Do you have a good sense that people still generally want more police reform as opposed to simply bringing the cops back to, to stop the crime that we're suffering? Yeah, I mean, the Communities United, uh, you know, there are community conversations happening um, now in terms of redefining public safety. I think, you know, what comes out of those conversations, what people want, um, I think will be a good uh, blueprint um, for what communities feel. You know, there's no one organization or one place where you can get a full feel for a full community. Communities are, you know, varied and there's a lot of a different uh, approaches. But police violence, police abuse, police harassment has never been an issue in which people in the black community, people in brown communities, people where there is police oppression happening. I never think of a time where they thought, oh, well, this doesn't matter anymore because we're seeing a rise in crime in these areas. That, I mean, anyone saying that to me, I just think is not actually plugged into people on the ground who are experiencing uh, what still is constant police harassment, even through a pandemic. In some of the material, I think from Communities United, it talks about wanting to um, get the cops out of uh, a a range of aspects of city life, including youth outreach. Uh, Talk about that. Why? What do you mean by that? And and why is that something you would like the police to stop doing? Yeah, I mean, police are are not equipped um, to be connecting with young people to provide support. We, We should not structure our government in a way that the agency that's reaching out to support young people Um, is the police department. And historically, police department youth outreach programs have always been connected to surveillance and control, right? Like historically, efforts around youth outreach and youth engagement have always been connected to surveilling youth, to controlling youth. So, you know, it's... If we're in the state of uh, the state of where we are now is that, you know, young people that need support, um, we're going to connect them to the police department. You know, like I said, I think earlier, like I said earlier in the call, we have a long way to go in terms of um, how we're changing the way communities have been policed historically. So uh, tell me about the efforts you'll be undertaking this year to try to shape this conversation. Obviously, it's a wacky campaign year. You've got every office in the city wide open, uh, or not every office, many offices wide open by term limits, every city in the office on the ballot. You've got ranked choice voting. You have uh, COVID making it hard for people to campaign. A lot of different issues on the table and a lot of different candidates vying for attention. What do you think is your approach to kind of keep this issue front and center? Yeah, I I think it's about putting forward our vision, right? I think it's about putting forward a vision around divesting and policing and reallocating and reinvesting care into communities. I think it's about putting forward a vision, uh, you mentioned, that is about removing police um, from social 
agencies, right? It's about removing police from schools because what do young people in schools need more than ever returning from a pandemic? Young people are going to need guidance counselors. They're going to need nurses. You know, we have hundreds of schools in New York City that didn't have a full-time nurse before the pandemic. We don't need a school police force of 5,500 agents. We need to ensure that funding is going to make sure there's a nurse in every school. Funding is going to make sure there's guidance counselors in every school. I think it is about a vision that's full of the things that people need in their communities and their social institutions. Um, And that vision is, I think, going to lead, you know, a lot of the kind of conversations, a lot of um, the way we see um, the election season turning out over the next couple of months. I know you have a vision and, and your your colleagues have a vision, too, and I don't mean to reduce it to a simple wish list, but Mayor de Blasio will be mayor for the next 11 months. He still controls the police yeah. department and a lot of other levers of city policy. If you ran into him on the street and could ask him to do one thing that you think would be meaningful to affect this issue over the remaining time he has, what would that be? Yeah, I don't, I don't at this point, to me, the mayor has lost all credibility around police reform. And so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ask him anything at, at this point. I know this doesn't directly answer your question. I think it's more about coming together with other organizations, with other communities and asking them, um, you know, what is it that you want? What do we need to be moving our city towards in the future? And, you know, there's a lot of. Um, people that are going to be running for electoral positions. But I think even, you know, for elected positions, we should be, you know, we should be real. Like, it's not just the mayor, right? Like, we've had a city council, we've had a governor, we've had elected officials in Albany and New York City since 2013. You mentioned stop and frisk. And really, all of them, in some ways, are complicit in allowing the police department impunity to run wild in our communities. And so it's it's less about asking them um, to give us what we want. And I think it's more about demanding what happens next. And I think, you know, we're going to continue to demand that we significantly divest um, from the NYPD in order to reallocate and reinvest in our communities. We have a call, and so I know we're coming to the end of your time. If you just stay for one second, uh, a caller with a, a quick question. Welcome to Max and Murphy. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious on how the police, okay, get around the Constitution of the United States. That was, the Constitution was built on just this problem we have. Okay, if you look at the um, they said man can't rule another man. So if man can't rule another man, why are they not being held to the law? Not reformed to the Constitution that's been around since 260 years. How All right, thank you. Around? Thank you, caller. Uh, that's obviously a broad question, Casey, but any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think so... We saw on January 6th in Washington, D.C., right, a, a mob uh, in D.C., and we, we saw the police step aside. We've seen reports that there were current and former police in that mob. And then I think about some things that we've seen with the Black, Mod- Black Lives Matter protests here in New York City. We've seen police officers potentially kind of usher a car of anti-Black Lives Matter protesters, you know, through a crowd. We've, you know, seen the police kind of watch Proud Boys beat people up in New York City streets and kind of stand aside and not do anything. And 
I think it's because the you know the NYPD police in Washington D.C. They're all serving the same purpose, right? It's it's law and and order, and the order part is about order maintaining a racial hierarchy in the country in which black people are at the bottom of that hierarchy. So, you know, when he asks, you know, why the police allowed to do what they're doing, they were designed and set up to do exactly what they're doing. They're serving the purpose that they were created to serve. I think it's on all of us in our communities to organize, to dismantle that, to not rely on Mayor de Blasio or elected officials to lead on that, because I think they've over the years, let everyone down and let us know that they're not gonna, going to lead on that. And so the police are doing what they do because that's what they're designed to do. They're serving a purpose um, you know, for the larger state. And so I, I think we've got to continue to organize to dismantle that because the Constitution and, and laws were, were not set up um, particularly to protect black people from policing in America. They, they were set up to police us. Well, Casey Foster, who is with Communities United for Police Reform Action Fund and Make the Road Action Fund, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you, Jack. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world. Mm-hmm.